thank you for joining Really Specific Stories. Lynn, it's fantastic to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, first question, which I ask every single guest on the show is, how did you first get into podcasts? Gosh, I don't really know. I think it kind of happened organically. I th- the thing I remember most is there's a dev podcast called The Shop Talk Show, which is two just really awesome devs in the community chatting, answering questions. I feel like that was probably the first podcast I got really into. Where I started listening to podcasts a lot is when I really started getting into watching YouTube commentary on movies, like reviews and Easter egg videos on, and there, I discovered actually an Australian podcast called The Weekly Planet. Um, and I used to just watch, listen to their podcasts on YouTube. And I was like, gosh, it'd be nice to listen to this in just like an app. And I think that's when I kind of got into, oh, like I can use a podcast app and oh, here, there's all these amazing podcasts that I can listen to on there. So. And what was it about these early shows that appealed to you particularly? Yeah, I think with Shop Talk Show, there is, of course, just uh, the learning aspect of keeping up to date on web technologies and the industry. But I think the thing that really stuck with me or why I would stick with a podcast is I like listening to two friends have a chat. You know, I think like those are the type of podcasts I like where two people, they know each other really well. They have some good banter and back and forth. And they're talking about some niche topic that they're both really excited about. And I think that that was what really kind of drew me to those two, especially. Now, you mentioned in your answer just there that you were into web technologies. Taking a step back, how did you get into web technologies and what's the background to your technological interest in general? Yeah. So I started doing website design things when I was in high school. So I kind of grew up in the GeoCities, LiveJournal, MySpace era of learning web design. So I was just really into bands and building little websites and learning HTML and CSS kind of on my own. And then I went to art school. And so I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And then once I graduated, I was looking for a job and a company hired me to do HTML and CSS work just because I kind of had self-taught myself how to do that. And so then that's how I got into the like dev and design industry and just have been building websites ever since. And how do you feel when you're working with the web and HTML? What was it like to learn those languages and interact with this technology? Yeah, it was cool. I think, so a friend of mine actually showed me GeoCities and I remember it very distinctly being like, you can make websites. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't like think about the fact that like, yes, there's people that are putting these on the web, right? And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Then learning HTML and CSS, kind of building, you know, designing interfaces, custom templates for LiveJournal and like, you know, customizing your profile on MySpace. I think it felt a little bit magical, right? Like there's kind of discovery of like, oh, I can actually like change this and make it my own and like do cool little tricks. And this kind of like open source community kind of came up inside of LiveJournal of like sharing tips and tricks and like, here's the template I built or here's like this design trick I have. And so I think there was a lot of fun, like community and like learning and just feeling creative on the web was really, really cool. And you mentioned open source just there. Can you tell me a little bit about your views on that, what it means to you and your interaction with the web and others? Yeah. Open source. I think I use, I use that term generally, which is like code or design things that you've made or put together and then you just share it publicly for others to use and to um, use in their own projects and not just for learning but for you know building off of and sharing again and so I think 
at the root of it, I think it's really cool. This kind of creative, collaborative, open ecosystem of stuff that we've all made, where you can riff off things and make something better, take what someone's done and make it your own. I think that's really cool. Um, of course, open source has grown into kind of a, a business on the web, right? With like huge companies, you know, releasing their own open source frameworks and libraries and folks trying to make whole careers on it and figuring out ways to monetize it and to be paid for their work, which is kind of a tricky situation. But I think at the heart, I really like that aspect of the web where like just by nature, your website code is viewable. I thought that was always cool. Like view source, that's how I learned a lot of things of, of how to code. And I don't know, I think that that is, I don't know, just a neat part of building websites, especially. And on that point about participating in the web and talking to other people and in that open collaborative style, I discovered you as a podcast listener through things like Mastodon, found your blog. Can you tell me a little bit about running your site and your blog and how you channel maybe some of your interests or professional work into that sort of passion projects or writing that you do? I have always, I don't know. It's interesting. My website has evolved a lot over the years. I redo it once a year. It's always, it's just kind of a, a creative outlet for me. I think having a personal website, I always encourage it because it's like, especially if you make websites for a living, a lot of the time you're making stuff that you're just not really that interested in. Other people are making the decisions. You have to think a lot about like huge audiences or like your specific user base. And I think with your own site, it's just whatever you want to do. You can be weird and experimental and try, you know, just kind of do whatever you want, write your own little thoughts down. So I have a website where I write about design and the industry. And then I also have like a personal blog, but I've been just like a WordPress blog that I've been running for a long time where I just post little inspiration-y kind of things, you know, like here's a cool product. Here's like a fun trip I went on. Here's kind of the day-to-day type stuff, which is cool. I haven't been doing that as much, but I want to get back into it. And then I also have like a kind of a handful of um, one-off, I don't know how to describe them. I, I guess side projects, passion projects, but I always call them like glorified fan sites. <laughs> and so it, I kind of take a topic that I'm really interested in or that I want to do more research about. And then I just build a website about that thing. So I have like a website that tracks all the stats from the reality cooking show, Top Chef. Wow. And so, or I have one about the good, the all the food that they have on the TV show, The Good Place. A lot of them are movie and TV show centered. But yeah, I like approach these projects more as like, I don't know, just here's this thing I'm excited and passionate about. And I assume that there are other people out there that are too. And the web is such a cool like publishing platform that I just want to create something and share it with people. And you mentioned food as the things that you're tracking. I'm interested to learn a bit more about that. Why food? <laughs> uh, well, so on The Good Place, have you seen that show? It's a- I'm aware of it. Yeah. Haven't watched much of it. Sorry. No, it's cool. You should. It's a good show. But that show in particular has a lot of gags that are food related. Like Megan Amram is one of the writers and she would always post that like she had just had this huge document of like food puns that they like included in the show. There's just tons of food puns. And so that's like a running theme throughout the show. And so I basically watched the show all the way through and like collected all the instances of the food. I drew some illustrations and I created this kind of like fake menu of like all the food in the good place. And so I think that that maybe is the theme of my projects is more that like 
there's like some sort of like running pattern happening in shows or movies or industries that if you're paying attention, you'll see it. And then if someone were to compile all of those, there are certain types of people that would find that interesting, right? So uh, a couple of years ago, I had a pretty viral project actually. It's called Netflix. And what it is, is it's like a fake streaming platform for like movies in movies or like TV shows and TV shows. So like in Home Alone, the like movie that Kevin watches is actually like a fake movie. It just tracks all of those, right? It's like, there's a theme within like the film industry or whatever that like these like fake movies is kind of like a fun gag or a fun like Easter eggy kind of thing that is like subtle, but like there and like pulling it out and making like putting way more time into it than anyone would deem like reasonable and then making a site about it. What stands out to me so far is your great appreciation for media or layers of media. I love that example that you just said about the movie or fake movies within Home Alone. That's great. It's one thing to be interested in technology or tracking things and doing stats and making websites, but to have that media appreciation or commenting on it, that's another thing. So how did you first become aware of media as a thing or a way of communicating messages or bringing people together or even fan work in the way that you're practicing it? Yeah, I don't know. I think probably going to art school, hmm. I think that probably was the origin originator of it where, I mean, a lot of people create art for themselves, right? But I think the whole like crux of like going to school for art is this whole like, you have to like think about how people are receiving your work and you have to defend it. Like there's this whole part, like process of like defending your work and talking about it and like this meta commentary, like all this like, right? Like thinking about the work as it relates to history and like the work that comes before it and like all of these things. And so I think that like that mindset is probably where that started. And then I've just always been a fan of movies and TV shows and books and just stories. And I think that with the rise of like YouTube and Twitter and people commenting on things and like things having kind of this like ebb and flow in conversation and there becomes like conversations about the conversation, right? And there's uh, someone makes a commentary and then someone makes a commentary video about that commentary. And then just as people, we are always kind of talking. I don't know. I think that the way that we think about things like evolve over time, right? Because of the way that we're like interacting with them. And I think that that's really interesting. And with the web, like the way that we publish that commentary has changed so much. So I don't know. I think that's probably where it started. And I think wanting to like show appreciation for movies and TV shows and the things that I like, right? But in a way that feels creative, that feels appreciative, but also like pointing something out that maybe other people could appreciate. That's kind of where I land. No, that's great. And it was intriguing how you said conversations about conversations, because right now we're having a conversation about conversations and fan work. Right. <laughs> Although interestingly, a lot of your fan work that you've shared so far centers on those kind of visual media like films and television. When you think about podcasting, tell me a little bit about your fan experience or how you've appreciated or consumed or followed podcasts as an audio medium. What's it been like since those early days or first podcasts that you shared at the beginning of this episode? I feel like maybe my relationship with podcasts is really, I, I don't know why, but I, I think of it a little bit differently, I guess, or maybe it's because it's audio. It's a little bit harder for me to like parse 
like my appreciation into something that because I'm a visual, I work in visual media, like it's hard for me to think about it that way. Like one example I think of that wasn't me, but that I appreciate is like on the Weekly Planet, that podcast, there's like running jokes that like occur kind of like inside jokes between like the audience, right? That like kind of recur and there people will make like just really elaborate like movie posters featuring these jokes and like memes and things. And I think that that form of expression is cool where it becomes almost like little communities within, like when you think about a published podcast, you think of it being like, okay, here's the thing it's there, but because there's like an audience and this, like they're creating things in reaction to the podcast, it's like really still alive. It's not like a finished thing. And so like the next episode, they might like comment on the thing. Right. So like the conversation in the community around it is impacting the work also, which is an interesting dynamic which I guess also kind of happens now with television shows and I guess films too, where like the conversation around around that is affecting the people creating the work, right? So that's interesting. But yeah, from my point of view, I think that's something that I haven't really explored with podcasts specifically, but that doesn't kind of get some things in my head going. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned the word community there. And there's a whole community, as you said, around podcasts and very much around tech podcasts what can you tell me about your interaction with that community what kinds of technology show and people have you discovered over time uh yeah i think the dev kind of industry or community especially like folks who i kind of fall in the like design front end html css community and i think that we are all kind of aware and like kind of following each other and especially previously on Twitter, but I'm on Mastodon now. So it's a little bit smaller now, right? Like people kind of scattered. Um, But I think we're all kind of like supporting each other and like asking each other questions. I think that's really cool. Like I think a lot of us will be like following podcasts, listening to each other's work. I think there's a lot of folks who's I've listened to their podcasts on and off, you know, depending on topics like Stephanie Eccles is a developer who is just brilliant and does a lot of really cool teaching her podcast is really about learning those communities. There's a couple like discords I've been in that have like communities have formed around these kind of podcasts, like uh, front end horse, which is a, I haven't been in there lately, but a bunch of developers in a discord talking a lot about their ideas they're working on. And so I think that these little communities kind of pop up around kind of a central person or, or group of people that are running the podcast um, and that's been really cool. It gets, I think it gets folks excited about stuff where they can ask questions, bounce ideas off each other. You mentioned a word learning there. How have you learned or what are some of the things that you've learned in the process of listening to tech podcasts? Yeah. I mean, I can't even quantify. I feel like it's like everything. Right? <laughs> like I think, I think the best thing about it is to hear about like problems folks are having or things that they're working on that are just really different from what I've been working on. I was mostly working in agencies like for most of my career. And so I was working on like marketing brochure type websites or like sometimes apps, but I've never worked on a big tech product really. And so like, that's really interesting to me to learn about like how those folks are using the same technologies that I'm using, but in different ways because web technologies move so quickly, especially over the last couple of years, like CSS has been just changing at such a pace that it's hard to keep up. And so those types of episodes, especially where someone like Miriam Suzanne, who works on 
just the cutting edge, like what's coming out for CSS, right? Learning from folks like that, I think hearing like, okay, here's just all the stuff that's coming. And then you can kind of like pause and then do a little Googling and researching. And then I think that that's how I've been able to keep up to date with a lot of the web stuff and blogs too. I think like podcasts are great. And then blogs as like a supplementary or even just another form of the medium uh, is where I do a lot of learning too. Ooh, now I'm really, really intrigued by what you just said right at the end there when you said another form of the medium. The way that you kind of put podcasts and blogs next to each other there, how do they interact or coexist for you? I think the way that those two things are published feel like they're two forms of the same thing to me, where like a blog, I guess, maybe not in the realm of like a platform like Medium, if you think of, or like Substack, if you think of it like that, but in kind of the old days of blogs, where like, it's your blog, it's on your domain, feels like podcasts to me where you like, you publish it, and then you distribute it to the various places that people can consume it, right? Like with RSS feeds and podcast apps and things like that. So those two, they feel at their heart the same to me, right? Especially as like kind of forms of like personal sharing. And I think, you know, one is just having a conversation, audio focused, and then one is written word focused. And, but both feel, especially in the dev world where they feel really similar in their message or like what they're trying to accomplish, which is usually like, hey, I here's a thing I learned. Here's how I did it. Or like, here's um, a new technology and here's how you apply it. And, uh, or here's my experience working at this particular company or um, whatever, right? And it's, I think a lot of it is kind of that cool, like sharing your experience, sharing your knowledge and, you know, publishing for, I don't know. I think blogs are cool because of like ownership of your content, right? I think like that's the part that's cool. Like we're a podcast. It's like, oh yeah, this is mine. This is coming from me. And a blog is really similar as opposed to like other kind of publishing platforms that we've seen. Now, I do apologize if you can hear some really enthusiastic birds outside my study window. <laughs> um, that's one of the consequences of living in Australia and yeah. recording in the morning. Nice. <laughs> It'll lend a different feel to this episode. Yeah. Now, I'm really interested in what you were talking about with fan work before, the way that you do it with your movie and TV interests, the fact that you've mentioned that you're a developer or you follow dev-focused podcasts, you have that learning experience. When it comes to being a fan within that podcast realm, for example, I discovered you, I think, as a follower of, or at least you'd interacted with shows like The Talk Show with John Gruber, or you're familiar with him as a blogger. So what other kind of show have you perhaps listened to in that community or interacted with? Is that something that's entered your realm? I think it's been really casual where, I mean, yeah. So I know I follow John Gruber for like Daring Fireball, like blog stuff is where I know him from. And so like crossing over medium, like into podcasting, I haven't I haven't listened to his podcast much, but I have, usually it's like, hey, there's this is a good episode, check this out. I think one thing that's hard with fandom type stuff when I think about it in that way is that some podcasts, like if you come really late into the podcast, like it's been going on for years, sometimes it's harder to get into it, right? There's a lot of, it feels like there's a lot of history that exists already <laughs> where you're like, for me, I'm a little bit of a completionist. So I'm like, oh, I got to start at the very beginning. And then, you know, it's like years of, <laughs> of podcasts that have existed. So I don't know that I've 
interacted a lot with other fandoms or with, you know, I think I'll like hop in and out. And usually I think like recommend like personal recommendations are where I kind of fall into that, whereas someone will say like, hey, this episode especially is like up my alley or like has like interesting points specifically about this thing. And then those are the ones I typically listen to. And sometimes there'll be a podcast where I'll listen to one episode and I'll be like, oh yeah, this is like just for me. Right. And then you kind of like spend a couple of weeks just like catching up and listening to everything. And that's pretty cool. Completionist, you know, that shows some commitment. (laughs) What shows are there that you've been a completionist with or gone back from the beginning and listened to the archive? Yeah. So a couple that I've been doing is Maintenance Phase, uh, which is a podcast about like kind of the toxicity of the like health and wellness industry. And then um, Michael Hobbs's other podcast, which is If Books Could Kill, which is kind of debunking airport books is how they describe it. But like, um, you know, those popular pop sci kind of books that get really popular and sell millions of copies and kind of going through those. And one thing I've been doing now, with, and that kind of started with these two is I was like, okay, I should start supporting the podcasts that I really like. I've supported the Weekly Planet for a long time. And I'm like, gosh, I should be like joining Patreons and stuff. So I started doing that this year. Um, and so I got some like bonus episodes. So I guess I am dipping my toe in a little bit more. I don't know that I'll be participating in like discussions and things like that, but I'm feeling excited to be like financially supporting more podcasts and that there's like a way to do that. That is another level of fan commitment or interaction. How does it feel once you've crossed that line or that threshold of financially supporting a podcast? Does it feel any different in your transition from being, I suppose, just a listener or following along to actually supporting them? How do you think about that? I mean, I think it feels good from like a personal level and also from like a, I don't know, not that I felt guilty, but more just like a, you know, wanting to support the creators that make things that you enjoy. You know, I think that with like conversations about Spotify, like not paying artists a lot and things like, I think it's hard to be able to, you know, enjoy things that are provided for free sometimes, right? And so, or not for free, but like for really low cost or whatever. And you want to be able to support the people that make what you like so that they can continue to do that. So I think from like a personal, just like feeling good and supporting um, the work that I like, I think that feels good. I don't know if it feels any different, like as a fan, but I, again, I haven't really dived deep into like participating in community discussions or things like that. And I think maybe that would like shift maybe how I'm feeling. Guilty is a fascinating word that you've used there. And circling back to some of your very productive fan work, the projects that you mentioned, the things you do with your website and your blog, am I correct in saying that you do a lot of that without any remuneration or financial support? Uh, Yeah, it's all. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I don't. I don't get paid for it. I have like a buy me a coffee setup. And so I'll get like tips every once in a while if someone really likes my site. But I, I've been trying not to do ads or sponsorship or things like that because kind of on the other side of it, sometimes I feel guilty when people are giving me money and I'm not producing like at a clip pace or like if maybe I would feel like it would affect the work in some way. And it actually started, I have a site about airport codes. It like explains the meaning of like three letter airport codes. And that site, um, I feature a lot of photos on the site and they're all Creative Commons licensed photos. And so that one like kind of out the gate was like, okay, we can't monetize this because we're using people's work that are Creative Commons licensed. And so that, and I liked that actually. I was like, I'm creating this thing that to share with people and these like 
generous photographers have like allowed me to use their work in my project. And so that kind of like informed the way that I think about my projects where I'm like, I kind of like that. It's just like a, a thing that I'm doing. I don't know. Right. It's just like, I wanted this thing to exist. And so here it is. It's tough. Cause like, it does cost me money to like host those and like the domain. Like I love a good domain name. And so there are some of them are not cheap domains, but it's doable for me and I like it. And I don't know if I'll ever try to make that something that can support me. You know, I haven't really explored that, but for now it's cool. It's just a side thing for me. No, I think that's fantastic. You're doing so much. You're listening to a lot of stuff. You're watching a lot of stuff and you're doing meta commentary about all of those things. What are some things that you're maybe in the process of doing or developing or that you're excited to do? You say you're always interested in learning more. What's left to do for you, maybe? I'm not sure right now. Like right now, I'm working on the next version of my portfolio, which I do every year. So that's exciting. I'm learning. I think with that, I learn something new every year. Just, uh, I don't know, keep it, keep it fresh and try some new technologies that are coming out. I have a big backlog of just ideas for sites that I want to make or just like pre-thoughts, right? Like they're not quite fully formed. I actually had Netflix in my backlog for a couple of years where I was like, is this an idea? And I think it kind of, they kind of form over time where it becomes more clear that something could be a project or not. So I have a few ideas kind of going. Um, I'd like to do, I think one thing I was thinking about is doing a site where I like can specifically teach something that I am good at but in a way that is visual. And so I don't know what that will be, but that's something that I'm exploring. I think that might be fun. I like using the web in a creative way, specifically like the web as a medium. And so I've been thinking about like, how can we use the web to teach something that necessarily isn't web related? Like you couldn't learn it this way in another medium. So like not a YouTube video or not a instruction booklet or something like that, right? Like I think, I don't know, that's kind of what I've been thinking about. And you mentioned your portfolio there. And the fact that you've also got this, it's a huge task, at least it sounds like it to me, redoing your site or having this running archive. It's fascinating that you have visually displayed, from what I can see, each version of your website, how it looked in the past. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the value in that? What enjoyment do you get out of having that visible archive where most people would probably just overwrite and move on? Yeah, I think that there's a few things. One, I think it's it's valuable in showing, and this is more like in hindsight, it shows folks who are learning, one, look how things evolve over time, right? Like, I think it's pretty clear how like my skills have changed over time and my creative expression has changed over time, which is kind of cool to see how a thing like a website, but also you can kind of, you know, infer how I've changed as a person over time right? as looking through it. So there's that. I think for me personally, I like looking back. I think artists, there's a lot of emphasis on like building your portfolio and like documenting your work. And so I like looking back and seeing how I've changed. And also it's cool. I look at stuff and I'm like, wow, this was really neat. Like I think there's like, you know, I don't, I'm not embarrassed by my past work because I think it's cool to see like how I've grown or where I was at at a certain point in time. And I, I don't know, this is kind of a point of I have mixed feelings about it, but I think like the web being ephemeral is like good and bad. And so like I embrace that with my site where it's like, okay, this is just going to change every year, even if I like it, you know, like I think that there's like something cool about that and that 
I don't know. I like the things can just always be changing, but then I also like mourn the loss of like stuff that just disappears from the web. And so, which is fine. I think if people want to remove things from the web that they've created, that is totally fine and up to them. But I think that I would like, I just, I like that it's available. It's still there. And so if someone was like, oh, I, I saw a technique on Lynn's site from like years ago, but gosh, I can't find it anymore. But I like the idea that maybe you could go back and revisit each year and maybe like re-examine something that you remembered or just for folks that are learning now, there's a lot of like kind of not, I mean, probably not work you would, probably not techniques you would use in your production work, but at least like kind of some creative things that I'm doing, kind of pushing the web as a medium. And so I think it's cool that lots of teachers will say that they show their students these sites that they can like, you know, see kind of these different techniques that I've been using over the years. So I think that's really cool too. It strikes me that earlier in this conversation, we discussed that word openness in the context of technology and how people interact or share information. But it also sounds like you're embodying openness in terms of your process and transparency. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think I could, it's in some ways, like there are developers who will design their site just like out in the open. So it's like kind of perpetually in a state of like in under construction, right? Which I think is like really cool. That's like a little bit further than where I'm at. But yeah, I think I really want the work to be able to be examined. Like all my code is public on GitHub too. So if developers want to go and like check out my site and fork it and like try editing it and seeing how it works, like I think that that is really important. And I like that they can do that if that's something they wanted to do. I want to share all the things that I'm working on, but then also I do a write-up too every year of like what I'm doing on the site Um, what techniques I'm trying and kind of my thought process and how I got there. I appreciate when other people do that. (laughs) And so I'm trying to do that too. I think some of the best blog posts are, hey, I kind of like was thinking about this problem and here's how I solved it or here's my approach, you know? And so I try to do that when I can. Now, a point that I don't want to lose, again, from earlier in this conversation, I keep circling back. (laughs) You mentioned that you went to art school. Was that right? Yes. Now, in the answer you just gave me there, you mentioned a very interesting word, which was technique. Technique really has that creative or artistic kind of definition or connotation to it. Would you mind telling me a little bit about your experience at art school or what you learned through practicing art and maybe how that connects to your work, your fan work, your appreciation of different visual and audio media? Yeah. So, I went to art school. My major was technically intermedia, which is pretty vague, right? But yeah. But it makes sense. Yeah, it does. And so it was it was transformative for me, for sure. I think there was a lot of things that affected the way that I think about the work now. So intermedia was a big part of it where we really were thinking about medium as a constraint or as a liberator, I guess some people might think of it that way where the work is informed by the medium. And when you change medium, it changes the work, right? And so I think that that is an interesting concept that we learned about and that I think about a lot where, you know, I think about the web specifically, what can the web do that other medium mediums can't do, right? And vice versa. So that's a big thing that I think affected me. The other is similarly, but constraints of the materials you're using. And so 
I think a lot of what I learned was, okay, we're going to build something and it's going to be only, you can only use sheet steel or something, right? Like a sculpture kind of class and, or like a, in a painting class, so you can only use the three primary colors. You can't use any black, you can't use any um, other colors. And so I think learning to use the, use your materials creatively in ways that maybe you hadn't thought of before, or like outside of like the traditional use of those materials. And just showing that like the work is like constraints can be powerful, right? But also that artists can create really beautiful work with not a lot, <laughs> you know? And so I think like I do, one of my side projects is called a single div and it's a CSS drawing project where I use CSS to basically do illustrations, but with only one HTML element. And so what that does, that is basically just an experiment in constraints. And so I think that that's kind of a cool idea that I like exploring that I think derived directly from what I learned in school. Wow. Basically what I've got from you here is that you play so many different roles or practice so many different artistic and technical things. There are lots of aspects to your identity, I suppose, personally and on the web. How do you think about who you are or what your identity is, whether it's art, development, how would you characterize yourself? Ah, yeah, that's hard. I think, <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, that's tough. I've always kind of described myself as making weird projects, like the weird, just being the thing you're like most excited about, uh, like an enthusiast maybe is the way to think about it, right? Like here's the thing that I'm excited about. And so that's the thing that I'm focused on now. Some people would say like, I'm a generalist or I still describe myself just as a web designer because I think of myself, I think the web part is the most important part too. Where like, I think we got away as an industry from describing people as web designers. It became like UX or UI or product, right? But I think of myself definitely as a web designer, as a creative, I don't know, a creative building person building things for the web. But yeah, I don't know. I think that's always been a struggle for me. And I mean, but not a struggle in that, like, I'm okay with it. <laughs> Right. Like, I think it's always been uh, that's a, the, the place where it shows up, where it's hard, I think, is like if I ever had to like write a resume like that would be hard to like create like a focused like kind of story. Luckily, I've been able to find jobs where the team was like appreciative of the fact that I was kind of all over the place and focused on lots of different things and had lots of interests. But yeah, just a, maybe like, I don't know, an eclectic weirdo making things for the web. Eclectic weirdo. If I gave episode titles that weren't just people's names, that would probably be a great <laughs> yeah. title for this episode. <laughs> and another word I want to pick on, you said generalist there. Generalist is very interesting and it's an antonym of specific, which is in the name of this show. What value do you derive perhaps from being a generalist or what do you think is important or beneficial about being a generalist? As it relates to work, I think where I found a lot of value is being able to speak towards lots of different things and be able to collaborate with lots of different people within a team. And so I'm able to jump. I like working on a variety of things, as maybe is obvious. And so I like that I can kind of work on different parts of things. Like I can do a little bit of content. I can do a little bit of development, a little bit of design. And I think that that has been valuable for me and like fulfilling for me. But I think it's also valuable for teams where there are folks that can like bridge gaps, you know, like 
I think the how do designers and developers work better together is like the kind of just perpetual question always, like maybe we'll get there. But I think that I fill that role nicely of being able to communicate between two different kind of areas of specialty, different priorities that people see. And then, yeah, I think what's cool about being a generalist, I think, is that every kind of different thing that you learn informs the way that you think about all the other things that you know. Right. I think like you create kind of this web of just like stuff that's all kind of interconnected. And so like you learn one thing and you, it maybe it doesn't feel like it is meaningful to the, anything you're working on. But like years later, it's like, oh, like this feels, you know, like you make a connection and it like makes your work different. Usually I think it makes it better, but not always. Right. I think, it, but it does, it, it changes you. Everything you learn changes you in a way. And I like that. I like that. I don't know. I think that there's, just like the concept of intermedia, right? Which is that all these things are just kind of talking to each other and changing the way that the work gets done or the work, how the work is interpreted. And I just really like that. I do think sometimes I'm like, ah, it'd be nice to be like an expert in something. I see people that have really deep expertise on a topic and I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Like I appreciate that so much and I'm just in awe of it. But then also I think pairing up a specialist like that with someone like me is like a great team up too. And so I like that. I like working with folks like that where um, I can, we can do kind of quick handoffs and um, help each other where each of us maybe doesn't have the right knowledge. So, yeah. From there, I asked you earlier if you had things left to do, but just inspired by that last response, perhaps more specifically, are there things that you would like to learn or become an expert in contrary to that generalist identity that you have? <laughs> um, I mean, there are lots of things I want to learn. I don't know that I would ever go so far as becoming, wanting to become an expert at anything. That doesn't feel reachable for me, just knowing myself and knowing how I function. So one thing that I'll do is I'll just pick a thing I want to learn and just kind of dive into it for like a year. And then maybe I'll kind of pick up and move on to the next thing. And so. I don't know what what's next. I think from like a just a purely hobby standpoint, I really want to learn how to bind books. That's one thing I've been researching, which is kind of cool. I think that that would be fun to to learn how to do. Although I've also been like, I need to pick some hobbies that are cheaper. <laughs> like there's like all these hobbies I pick up, I have to like buy all this equipment for it. But yeah, I think there's a lot of cool web stuff coming out. I think I'm always perpetually learning JavaScript. And so there's just a lot of cool ways that I would like to use JavaScript to make art on the web. And so that's something that I've been like wanting to dive into. But yeah, those are the kind of things top of mind, but I'm always open to just kind of jumping into something new. I think I have a little bit of like, how hard could it be kind of brain, you know, but I do, I, I do kind of jump from thing to thing, which is fun. You've covered a lot in this conversation, and I'm very grateful for that. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you would like to mention? Uh, I don't think so. No worries, that's cool. Look, Lynn, I'm very grateful for the time that you've spent on this podcast. Thanks for sharing your view on intermedia podcasts, your creative experience. It's been great to have you on really specific stories. Yeah, thank you so much.